Welcome to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean, Living the Challenge. Our program is designed to offer solutions to those individuals with exceptional needs, plus families, professionals, and educators. Dr. Sean and his guests will share ideas that you can begin using immediately in order to promote a harmonious relationship and move forward. Now, here is your host, Dr. Sean Surface. Well, good morning and hello, Voice America listeners. Very happy to have you with us. Welcome to Season 3 of Solutions and Strategies. A very happy 2018 to you all. Last season and year, we put a lot of emphasis on looking at stress, anxiety, childhood aversive events, post-traumatic stress disorder, anxiety in children and adults with autism, attention deficit hyperactive disorder, and other challenges. We have discussed interventions and treatment programs and different ways of looking at these differential challenges in hopes that it might assist people living with these disabilities. What comes along with the challenges is an idea of, well, how do you get through it? How do you continue to work at trying to make it through a very challenging situation? So today, I'd like to discuss resiliency or the concept of gaining or recognizing strength to live and work through life's hardships. So so what is what is resiliency? Everyone is likely to experience a traumatic event in their life. It's almost unavoidable. <clears throat> Everyone experiences everyone's experience of traumatic events will be different. How people are affected, cope, recover varies greatly. We invite you to view information about resiliency by going to different resources such as the internet and look up resiliency and see what comes up for you and what you're able to glean from the information that you receive. Most commonly, the term resilience has come to mean an individual's ability to overcome adversity and continue his or her normal development. In the context of exposure to significant adversity, resilience is both the capacity of individuals to navigate their way to the psychological, social, cultural, and physical resources that sustain their well-being and their capacity individually and collectively to negotiate for these resources to be provided in a culturally meaningful way. And that's a quote by Dr. Michael Unger. So let's look at that again. Two things stand out. One is your way to navigate, and resilience is a way of navigating your way through psychological and social situations. It's also a way to negotiate your way through these uh, various situations so that you do have a meaningful way to exist. Now, this definition shifts our understanding of resilience from an individual concept popular with Western-trained researchers and human services providers to a more culturally embedded understanding of well-being. Understood this way, resilience is a social construct that identifies both processes and outcomes associated with what people themselves term as well-being. So this is a social concept. 
some people think that anxiety and stress are bad. Well, they aren't bad things, and I've been talking about that. They're, they can be warrior uh, skills. They can be the thing that keeps you alive in a, in a dangerous situation. So we don't want to negate the skill. We don't want to deprecate ourselves by saying that we're something bad because we're stressed or anxious. Instead, we really want to look at how, how do we get through it? How are we resilient? And different cultures will look at resilience in different ways. So what would be the most meaningful way? Again, understood this way, resilience is a social construct that identifies both processes and, and outcomes associated with what people themselves term as well-being. It makes explicit that resilience is more likely to occur when we provide the services, supports, and health resources that make it more likely for every child to do well, every person to do well, in ways that are meaningful to his or her family and community. Resilience is a multi-dimensional model. There are many factors associated with resilience. And, and I see it every day. Once again, we're, we're in a situation where people are hearing things on a daily basis, seeing things on the news on a daily basis that frightens them, that makes them unsure. We had a horrific experience in Hawaii earlier in the week where a mistakenly a missile alert was sent out. People were putting their children into manhole covers down into the sewer. They were so afraid. Of what and didn't know what to do. Now, 40 minutes later, they were told that it was a mistake. Their resilience came primarily from, be, from what I've been told from friends in Hawaii, actually, that people just pulled together immediately. They immediately went to each other and said, where are you going? What are you going to do? So it was that connectiveness that allowed them to get through it because you know when you're told you got a missile heading your way you, you have only moments to think of what to do so that ability to pull together as a community immediately is a very strong form of resilience there are many factors associated with resilience some are are, are more common aspects of successful navigation and no negotiation for well-being under stress include the following things. So these are some of the things that when you're trying to navigate a situation or negotiate a situation and, and be resilient, these are some of the common factors. Well, for one, assertiveness, that ability to be able to let others know how you're feeling and what you need. The ability to solve problems. And this is where it's so important to build with community because if you are in a stressed state, you are not going to be able to demonstrate a lot of problem-solving skills. Self-efficacy, your knowledge that you can do this. And I'm truly starting to believe that in regards to anxiety and stress, that maybe it's not about stress reduction, but maybe it's more about self-efficacy building and being able to be resilient through certain challenges rather than trying to make them go away. 
the ability to live with uncertainty. Now, this is a huge issue. Can you live with the unknown? Can you live with not being certain about certain situations? And if that's the case, then <clears throat> you're more than likely able to live in the present. When we look at depression, depression is thinking about things that went on in the past. When we look at anxiety, anxiety is about things in the future. So if we can stay present, we're much more likely to be able to live with certain things, including uncertainty, than if we're always attempting to just reduce stress and feel just to feel better. Self-awareness, an ability to know what your capabilities are and what your skill where your skills lack a positive outlook being able to look at the situation and say you know this can get better or i can do things to make this change and make this different it's not doesn't have control of me i have control of it empathy for others being able to understand where other people are coming from you know, we had talked a lot about stress amongst people with autism. And then you go, okay, well, if they stress amongst people with autism and empathy is one of the ways of dealing with resilience, are they going to be able to do that? Most people with autism do have empathy towards others. They just don't always know how to share it or they don't see a reason to assist the other person. So it's, it may not be that they have a lack of of, of empathy themselves it may be that they just choose not to engage in it a lot but the empathy will allow them some resilience to their own issues having goals and aspirations one of the things that total program staff are really um, pushed to do is to create goals and objectives for their own life and not just work on their clients' goals and objectives, because yes, of course, it's very important that our clients' goals and objectives are are met, developed, implemented. But what's even more important is that staff also has, and people have that are working with challenging individuals also have their own goals, because if you're without your own goals, you'll you'll soon find that you're unmotivated. And and maybe that uh, that non-motivation is the lack of ability to have resilience because you just can't get through a certain situation. The ability to maintain a balance between independence and dependence on others. We all need others, but we need to be able to do things on our own also. The appropriate use or the abstinence from substances like alcohol and drugs. When we turn to alcohol or drugs to, quote unquote, deal with the situation, we're really blocking out our consciousness and our ability to truly problem solve. You know, whenever you do anything toxic to the body, whether it's stress, whether it is smoking, whether it's taking drugs or alcohol, when you're doing something tough on the body, the body kind of has to go into an unconscious mode because it's uh, not um, doing good stuff for itself. So it almost has to ignore 
the fact that it's not doing good stuff for itself because the body is there to fight off negatives and fight off sickness. And so when we do things to our body, which we're attempting to maybe, what would be the word, self-medicate in order to get through a situation, what we really find is that we're harming the body a lot more than we're helping. The, the help may be very temporary. A huge thing, too, is to be able to laugh at certain situations, to have a sense of humor, to be able to know that everything is not so serious in life. One thing that's really important is a sense of duty to others or to self, depending on the culture. It's like, what, what are you there for? What are you... Your existence is much greater than just breathing in and out. So what is your sense of duty? What is your sense of duty in the world and your ability to support yourself and to support others? What is your goal? My goal and vision has been to help people with disabilities and to put things into place so that those things can happen. I'm not always interacting with the clients myself. I'm not always interacting with parents, but I have people out and about making sure that they get the supports that they need. And that is my sense of duty. It's where I believe that I can best use my skills is to support others. You know, a huge part of resiliency is relationships. And I think that one of the first things we look at is what does the person have around them? Do they have people around them that they can interact with, that they can maintain a uh, uh, reciprocal interact, maintain reciprocal interactions with each other? You know, or is the person on their own and 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 not really able to bounce information off of others or to? Uh, gain the, the, the support from other people but they just don't have them in their life. So relationships are extremely important. Parenting that makes that meets a child's needs. This is really, you know, for resiliency, a lot of children go through a lot of significant events and come out as adults okay because something something came into their lives that allowed them to be resilient whether it is a parent, whether it is a grandparent, a aunt or uncle, somebody, an adult that takes that child under their wing and says, hey, you know what, you can be successful, you can do this. But just knowing that you have this parental figure around you is a huge form of resiliency in itself because you feel protected. But then you have the opposite also, that when you don't have the parenting that meets a child's needs, you're going to have a kid that's often very nervous, anxious, concerned about and uncertain about upcoming events, not very empathetic towards others, in survival mode themselves, and maybe acting out because they so desire that relationship and you think wow isn't that weird why would they act out in order to gain a relationship nobody wants to be around an acting out person well sometimes an interaction is better than no interaction 
And so the interaction becomes negative uh, because the child is so needing interaction with an adult that they'll take it in whatever way they can get it. So it's important that we look at how has a child built up relationships already and is there a need for additional relationships and can the adults around help to develop that? Or can resources around help to develop that? So, happens fast. We've come to our first break time. And when we come back, I want to talk more about resiliency and get into the work of a couple of, of people that are big in the field. So, I look forward to uh, returning. We'll talk to you back in a couple minutes here. I don't think that was a sentence, actually. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Step by step, you made it through the journey of pregnancy. Now your baby is in your arms and you're on the cusp of a new journey. Breastfeeding. As a new parent, you receive a lot of advice. Much of it conflicting. Some of it outdated. Tune into Born to be Breastfed with host Marie Biancuso. To bust through the myths about feeding your baby, Marie and her guests will help you figure out what you can expect and put you on the best and surest path on your breastfeeding journey. Listen every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Life has its joys and challenges. At Total Programs, we can assist you with the challenges and show you that solutions are possible when good strategies are put into place. At Total Programs, we understand how difficult your day can be, and our goal is to assist your family in having the supportive, safe, and successful environment where love and joy can reign. We can design programs and strategies to bring you the success, safety, and support that you desire for your home, school, and community. Call 1-866-54-TUTOR or visit TotalPrograms.org. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean, Living the Challenge. We'd love to encourage your participation in the program. Call into 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to seansurface at totalprograms.org. Now, back to this week's show. Big, big goal of this season is to invite you to call in and ask questions and I hope you do take advantage of that on Thursday mornings between 8 and 9 a.m. is when we're live and can take those calls. 
So we've been talking about resiliency, and I was specifically talking about relationships and how important a parental relationship is. Also, the appropriate emotional expression and parental monitoring within the family. So is the family stable or do is there a lot of ups and downs and emotions within the family unit also? Social competence. Does the person have an understanding of how to interact with other people, how to uh, uh, glean the information from other people, but also how to share in problem solving and how to share in in working through challenges, but with, with somebody. Meaningful relationships with others at school, home, and perceived social support. So it's really important that you have one or two people that you can interact with so that you do have a peer group of sorts that you can uh, be successful with. There are community factors, opportunities for age-appropriate work, avoidance of exposure to violence in one's family, community, and with peers. Now, that's a tough one because a child is born into what a child is born into. So you can't just get up and go. So if there is a lot of exposure to certain things and the kid is avoiding it, there is much more of a, of a likelihood if the child is able to avoid and how does he avoid it by having supports out in the community that he can go to and or she can go to and get away from uh, the, the violence in one's own family. But it's hard because how do you get away from the violence in your own family or your own community or with the peers that you connect with? Government provision for children's safety, recreation, housing, and jobs when they're at an appropriate age to work. So this is allowed, the idea of resiliency here is that there are certain aspects that if the government is able to help fund, uh, we're able to set up programs that allow for after-school recreation, that allow for job development. Meaningful rites of passage with appropriate amounts of risk Certain things that the child can get through. Let's say, let's just do something very, very simple. Think of a, a Jewish child that's going through a bar mitzvah. They have to learn a new language. They have to stand up in front of a group of people. They have to read out of a, uh, what, what is the Torah, a religious document, a very serious day, and they're a kid. So they have to be able to, this is their passage into adulthood is the ability to read what this portion of the Torah, which what we call the Haftorah. Well, getting through that and working through that difficult time in itself is resiliency. So the passage of certain rites are so important because the fact that, yeah, they're tough, but when you get through it, wow, what a, a difference it has made in your life. Tolerance of high-risk and problem behaviors. So being able to tolerate some situations that are around you without it highly affecting you. Safety and security, perceived social equality, access to school and education, information and learning resources. Very, very important community factors. What are some of the cultural factors that may build resiliency? Well, for one, is an affiliation with a religious organization, whether it's a church or a temple. 
it's very important that you're able to have something bigger than yourself to look towards. Tolerance for different ideologies and beliefs. Adequate management of cultural dislocation and a change and shift or values. So, you know, you have a, a family that comes into the United States. Maybe they've come in from a very challenging situation, but it is as challenging coming into the U.S. because they have to develop a new home, jobs, relationships with people. So it is very, very, uh, uh, it's a very good thing when you're able to manage those cultural changes. Having a life philosophy, what your life is about and what you what your intentions are on a daily basis. Cultural and spiritual identification. Being culturally grounded by knowing where you come from and being part of a cultural tradition that is expressed through daily activities. This is why it's so important that we maintain that there is not a complete assimilation into whatever the United States is because it's a conglomerate of many different cultures. So it's so important to continue to access that. Access, what are some of the physical or the ecological factors that come into play? Well, one is access to a healthy environment. In order to be able to demonstrate resilience, you got to be healthy. You got to have the right amount of food. You got to have the right amount of sleep and shelter so that you can put aside your primary needs and start working on your social secondary needs, which are, again, social interactions and your ability to live alongside of others. Security in one's own community knowing that your community is a safe environment and that it's something that you don't have to concern yourself about on a daily basis. We talked about in post-traumatic stress, people often being on alert all the time. Well, if you have a safe community and security in your community, you're much less likely to be on alert and be on, 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 on edge in a sense. Access to recreational spaces, being able to get out there and get be physical and be able to get out and about and not be in a situation where you're unable to. Now that could be a dangerous neighborhood. Yeah, it could be something as bad as a war-torn community, but you also want to make sure that within yourself, you're able to enter into the community with a feeling of, of, of motivation or, or, or desire to interact rather than uh, avoiding or attempting to escape your community because you don't feel secure in it. Sustainable resources. Does the community offer you what you need in order to survive? Ecological diversity. Mm. That there is not just one 
type of, of situation or environment that you can exist in, that you're able to exist in a multitude or at least more than one type of living experience. I want to read some of the work of Jesse Scholl. Jesse Scholl is an author in New York. She teaches at the New School. I'm going to have her on the show next week. I'm really excited about it. She's a very, very good writer. And she wrote a an article on resiliency skills, and I'd like to, to read part of that now. So her article is called The Five Best Ways to Build Resiliency, and it came out in September of 2011. And why do some people bounce back from adversity and misfortune? Why do others fall apart? Find out which character strengths makes all the difference and how you can develop them for yourself. So let's read a little story. Victoria Ruvolo was driving home from her niece's piano recital one wintry evening in 2004 when a large object smashed through her windshield, hitting with such force that it broke every bone in her face. The object turned out to be a frozen turkey. The thrower, a teenage boy named Ryan Cushing, out for a joyride with friends in a stolen car. Ruvolo's passenger managed to grab the steering wheel, push Ruvolo's foot off the gas pedal, and steer them onto the shoulder. After being rushed to the hospital, Ruvolo remained in an induced coma for two weeks. When it was safe to operate, the doctors began painstakingly putting Ruvolo back together again. The then 44-year-old office manager from Long Island was left with three titanium plates in her left cheek, one plate in her right cheek, and a screen holding her left eye in place. Her family was told that she might have permanent brain damage and was unlikely to be capable of living on her own. But that wasn't a prediction Ravolo was ready to accept. She had survived tragedies before. Two of her brothers died in separate incidents when she was a teenager. At 35, she miscarried a much long-awaited-for child. Somehow, she had found the strength to come through those losses, and she was determined that she would make it through this one too. Somehow, she had found the strength to come through those losses, and she was determined that she would make it through this one too. With a devastated face and a questionable future ahead of her, Ruvolo had plenty of good reasons to sink into anger and depression. But she didn't. Instead, even as she was still undergoing a series of reconstructive surgeries, she told herself, quote, this moping isn't going to get me anywhere, unquote. And she turned her focus to learning more about Ryan Cushing, the boy responsible for her ordeal. What could she learn about him? And what would help her understand the accident? 
Volo discovered that Cushing was in the midst of his own turmoil. His father had just left his mother for another woman. He had a serious vision problems that left him unable to play sports or drive a car. Months later, when Ruvolo went to the troubled boy's sentencing, she mystified many by working with the district attorney's office to encourage a lenient sentence. I just couldn't see how locking him up for 25 years was really going to help him, says Ravolo. The judge agreed, and Cushing was sentenced to six months in jail and five years probation. Ravolo's empathy towards Cushing wasn't the only surprising post-incident event. Contrary to her grim prognosis, she was back at work within eight months, living on her own and speaking regularly to at-risk youth about ways to improve their lives. Looking back, Uvolo realizes that she showed similar resiliency after her brother's deaths and her miscarriages. But where does this kind of resiliency come from? And why don't more of us have it? That is a question that has kept researchers busy for decades. Why is it, they've wondered, that some people seem to bounce back from traumas with relative ease and even thriving after negative events, while others crack and crumble? The answers are compelling. In his best-selling book, The Resiliency Advantage, by Barrett Kohler, 2005, the late Al Siebert writes that highly resilient people are flexible, adapt to new circumstances quickly, and thrive in constant change. Most important, they expect to bounce back and feel confident that they will, and feel confident that they will. They have a knack for creating good luck out of circumstances that many see as bad luck. Siebert also notes that resilient people are adept at seeing things from another person's point of view. Just as Ruvolo was able to do with Cushing, when we emphasize with others, we feel less alone and less entrenched in pain. As a result, we recover faster. Resilient people are adept at seeing things from another person's point of view. So in order to be and demonstrate that resilience, one thing that you're able to do is to be able to see how, where it's coming from from another person. Now let's take this Cushing kid. You know, he decides to throw a turkey off of an overpass and smash it through a person's window. Did he have the intention? To hurt somebody? How did he get into the situation in the first place where he was so caught up in uh, uh, doing this dangerous act that he didn't realize how it really could hurt another person? Did he? He didn't have intention to hurt Victoria Ruvolo as she was driving down the street. And how wonderful it is that she was able to 
Forgive him, move past, try to see why possibly he might feel the way that he's feeling or that why he might attempt such a, a horrific act. You know, there's a lot of issues out there that people are dealing with and kids and kids go along with the crowd. So what this person was in, what Victoria Rovello was able to realize was that Cushing was not a bad person. He just did a bad thing. That he's not a bad person. He's just in a bad situation. And that there are ways to assist and help him also so that he would have a better life. And maybe by doing that, she actually made herself feel better, be better, and have more of a positive attitude. So, very interesting story. So forward to looking, so, so forward, so looking forward to having Jesse Scholl next week on the show. Um, it'll be a very exciting conversation. And we are now time for a little break. We'll be back in a couple minutes. I may have cut it a little bit too short. So I believe that we will have a break. When we return, I want to talk a little bit more about what resiliency is and how we keep uh, resilient behaviors alive. Okay, talk to you in a few. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Life has its joys and challenges. At Total Programs, we can assist you with the challenges and show you that solutions are possible when good strategies are put into place. At Total Programs, we understand how difficult your day can be. And our goal is to assist your family in having the supportive, safe, and successful environment where love and joy can reign. We can design programs and strategies to bring you the success, safety, and support that you desire for your home, school, and community. Call 1-866-54-TUTOR or visit TotalPrograms.org. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. 
You are listening to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean, Living the Challenge. We'd love to encourage your participation in the program. Call into 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to seansurface at totalprograms.org. Now, back to this week's show. Okay, welcome back, listeners. So we were just talking, we've been talking about resiliency this morning, and I just read a story about Victoria Rivolo, who was attacked by a, uh, by a young kid who threw something over and over head and, and hurt her. She was very much still in the mode of trying to help him, and by trying to help him, she helped herself. So people will attempt resiliency through other ways, through many different ways. But one of the ways is empathy and understanding how, where other people are coming from. Psychologists agree that some people seem to be born with more resilience than others. But they also assert that it's possible for all of us to cultivate more of it. One key is adjusting to how we think about adversity. A long-term study of 99 Harvard men showed that a way of people, that the way people view negative life events as fixed and unchangeable versus temporary and subject to influence predict their physical health, five and even 35 years later. But a boast excuse me, a boost to physical health isn't this mindset alone upside down. Darcy Smith, a clinical social worker in Manhattan, explains that resilience refers to our capacity to deal with discomfort and adversity, but it is not just a reactive skill set. The same characteristics that make us resilient are traits that enrich our lives. Want to bolster your own inherent resilience? Here, according to top researchers, are the five most important powerful ways. And I don't know if we're going to get through all five today. We'll probably continue next week, too, when we have uh, Jesse with us. But number one is pump up your positivity. In our in research programs, found that the daily repertoire of emotions of people who are highly resilient is remarkably different from those who are not, says Barbara Fredericks- Fredrickson the author of Positivity, 2009. Resilient people are characterized by an ability to experience both negative and positive emotions, even in difficult or painful situations. They mourn losses and endure frustrations, but they also find redeeming potential or value in most of their challenges. When not so resilient people face difficulties, Fredrickson notes, all of their emotions turn negative. If things are good, they feel good. But if things are bad, they feel horrid. Resilient people, on the other hand, tend to find some silver lining in even the worst of circumstances. While certainly, while they certainly see and acknowledge the bad, Fredrickson says they'll find a way to also see the good. They'll say, well, at least I didn't have this other problem. 
Resilient people, on the other hand, tend to find some silver lining in even the worst situations. She notes that this is a different that this is different than some coming to Pollyannish denial. The resilient person isn't papering over negative emotions, but is instead letting them sit side by side with other feelings. So at the same time they're feeling I'm sad about that, they're also prone to thinking, but I'm grateful about this. But what if this sort of well-balanced emotional response doesn't come naturally to you? You can change it, but it'll mean changing, it'll mean challenging your reflexive thoughts and your self-talk. Thinking patterns of triggers and emotional patterns, she explains, so that to change emotional patterns, sometimes what we need to do is curtail our negative thinking and stroke our positive thinking. One thing that's negative doesn't need to lead to everything being negative. One defeat is a battle. It's not the war. You can still win the war even when you lose multiple battles. Say to yourself, say you find yourself ruminating on negative thoughts. For instance, I'll never succeed in my career. Ask yourself, what's the evidence that I'll never succeed? You might say, well, there's this history of success and this history of failure. How does that add up to never? It's a matter of getting really literal about the kinds of blanket statements we have in our self-talk. Because of our built-in survival mechanisms, our brains are naturally wired to pay more attention to negative events than to positive ones. But in reality, we experience positive events much more in much greater frequency. One key to building resiliency lies in noticing and appreciating those positive experiences whenever and wherever they occur. What matters most is our positive positivity ratio. That ratio is a product of how you characterize the balance of positive and negative experiences in your daily life. Fredrickson's research suggests that at minimum, we need a three to one ratio of positive to negative experiences, not just to build resilience, but also to thrive, to be ultimately productive and to enjoy our lives. This means that every heart-wrenching negative emotional experience you endure, you have to experience at least three heartfelt positive emotional experiences that uplift you. Three to one appears to be the tipping point predicting whether people languish or flourish. Number two, live to learn. The more you can leverage challenges as opportunities to grow and to evolve, the more resilient you are likely to be. Pain comes to all of us in life, says David Sabine, a clinical psychologist in Wichita Falls, Texas. What I see, what I see resilient people do is immediately look at the problem and say, what's the solution to that? What is this trying to teach me? Looking at pain as an opportunity to learn and problem solve and building the confidence and the habit of moving towards the pain instead of running from it goes a long way 
in terms of building your resiliency. Nancy Gruskin is an ex excellent example. In the spring of 2009, her husband Stuart was crossing a one-way midtown Manhattan street when he was struck by a bicyclist riding the wrong way. Stewart sustained a serious head injury in the, in the accident. Three days later, he died. He was just 50 years old and the father of then 12-year-old uh, twins. For weeks, Gresson remained in an emotional fog, and understandably so. After a newspaper story was published about her experience, she received a flood of calls, emails, and letters from people who had been in similar, though less severe, situations. Hearing their stories ignited Gruskin to learn more about the issue. Driving into it gave her a sense of purpose and helped her transform her pain. Eventually, it even empowered her to effect broad positive change. She partnered with Hunter College and started a foundation bearing her husband's name that was dedicated to developing safety awareness for pedestrians in urban areas. As a result of her hard work, New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg signed a law into effect last in February of 2011 that, or 10, excuse me, that requires the city to collect and, and keep data about bicycle pedestrian accidents. One strategy for cultivating a learner mindset is to use question thinking, a method of problem solving developed by psychotherapist and executive coach, Martley Adams. Question thinking encourages people to encourage, excuse me, to approach challenges and situations with, with learner questions. Neutral, non-judgmental questions such as, what is useful here? What are my available choices? As opposed to the judger questions like, what's wrong? Or who's to blame? Learner questions are empowering and they promote more expansive thinking and acceptance. They also improve how you relate to others and creating meaningful connections with others is yet another essential component of resilience. Sorry, I don't know that. Number three, open your heart. Being of service to others is a powerful way of, of stoking resilience. In studies, researchers found that serotonin the trans neurotransmitter associated with feelings of happiness and well-being is used more efficiently by people who have just engaged in an act of kindness. Now, I just want to talk about something for a second. A second ago, I guess my Alexa talked to us. And that's just, you know, at first I got in my mind upset. And then secondly, I thought that's kind of funny. And I think people will find a little sense of humor in the reality of what it is to run a show and, and try and keep things from happening and uh it was just kind of funny that alexa decided to uh talk to us a bit again having a sense of humor allows you to be resilient through whatever situation occurs acts of kindness and the serotonin boosts that accompany them have a cumulative effect a cumulative effect once you've added these things to your life in consistent in a consistent way the benefit becomes exponential. 
so that in times of difficulty, you've got the will of resilience to draw upon. Acts of kindness can be formally organized like regularly volunteering in a soup kitchen or as Sabine says, it can be as simple as getting out there and finding people to smile at or speak at an encouraging word to. It's worth noting though that receiving and appreciating kindness from others may be just as important as offering it up because gratitude turns out to be an important part of resiliency. It's worth noting that receiving and appreciating kindness from others may be just as important as offering it up. What a sentence. Because the gratitude turns out to be an important part of resiliency. Resiliency in children allows them to get through experiences that have challenged them. When adversity strikes, gratitude for the things that are going right in your life helps to put the tragedy in perspective. I often recommend that people start a 30-day gratitude journal. Get out a few get get a few of your friends together and start a gratitude blog. I Jesse Scholl did that about a year ago and every day they begin the blog about three things that they're grateful for. That allows you to have another strategy building, the building of gratitude comes from this understanding and, and, and observance of your what you are grateful for and not only thinking about what are your life's challenges. So it's all for today's show. I really want to thank Jesse Scholl for her wonderful article, and we look forward to talking with her next week. Um, try and do good things for yourself this week. Try to remember some good things that you did. Give yourself some, some pats on the back for the good stuff. Remember that on Strategies and Solutions, Living the Challenge with Dr. Sean, we're about your success and know that each day can be a new future you dream of having in your life. We'll see you next time. Blessings. Thanks so much for listening to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean. Living the Challenge. Be sure to join us again next Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a great week.